Hey, welcome to Conversations with my dear friend, Jeff Conway. My name is Susan. This is A Different Kind of Walk. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to A Different Kind of Walk. Jeff and I are here to chat about deconstruction and reconstruction and faith. We've had a lot of questions, things that people have heard on the podcast from different interviews that we've done. And uh, so we'd love to get at some of those questions and just talk about faith. Faith. My favorite topic. Faith. (laughs) Uh, It is. That is very much my favorite topic. So um, I was talking to a pastor uh, a few weeks ago and... Uh, he told me that he had gone out to lunch with one of his parishioner friends. And as they were chatting, uh, the parishioner friend said, I love that you're still live streaming the service Hmm. um, because um, we can just stay in our pajamas and eat breakfast and uh, listen to uh, what's being said in the midst of all that we're doing. And uh, I don't remember what he said his response was to his friend, but I do know he went back to his church and said, live streaming stops this week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, which I know a number of churches haven't done that yet. Um, but I'm just hearing from a lot of friends in ministry how their churches have not recovered People haven't started coming back to church. A lot of people have not started coming back to gathered worship the way that I thought they would. Um, I'm in worship every week, and I can't wait to get there. Um, So that was surprising to me. But what I think is most important is relationships in that. Mm -hmm. And that in a lot of churches... People go to worship, but they don't know the people they're worshiping with well. Mm -hmm. So it's easier to do that live stream and think you're getting the same thing out of it. But worship is about one thing. Church and being a part of a church community is another thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as a younger person helping to lead a community of people, a community of faith, especially in today's society with different generations, having different expectations of what the church is and what church services look like and just what the church should be doing in the world. We've wrestled with what is a Sunday? What is Sunday worship? Is it just a, is it just a social club? And if so, you know, like, is, is there value in just being together? And like, I would argue that there is, there is value in us just being together, having a safe space to, to be and to socialize and to talk about things that, um, both in our lives and faith things. And relationship with each other. Yes. Yeah. So like that is, that is, that has worth on its own. And then there's the other side of it where does it does it actually matter that we get together 
and we do this thing called worshiping God. Um, does it actually, or is that something that you can just do on your own um, by yourself out in a field somewhere? Like, can you, can you just go for walks and commune with God? And on one hand, yeah, you can, you can just go for walks by yourself and commune with God. Um, that's a thing. And that's fine. Um, commune with God, worship God. Yeah. And we might have to actually define what we mean by those terms. Commune with God, worship God. Those can be different things. So, yeah. So we have communing with God that can include worship, but can also just mean sitting with God and listening or walking with God and listening and celebrating relationship. To me, that's communing with God. How would you express communing with God? Yeah, some of it for me has to do with attention. Like which direction is your attention focused? In worship, the movement of my attention, words and things like that are are going to go from me toward God. But in communing with God, direction of attention is like, God is pouring into me Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm listening. Some people associate worship specifically with music. Like you're only worshiping God. If you're singing, that's not necessarily the case. Um, And at least for, at least for the purposes of our conversation, that's not what we're talking about. When we say worship God, it's not just getting together and singing. So I actually went to a gathered worship conference, probably 15 maybe 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the speakers stood up after we were talking about worship isn't more than singing. Um, One of the speakers stood up and said, oh, you know, just this great singing going on and we were worshiping. And then all of a sudden we had to stop worshiping and listen to the pastor speak and give a sermon. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) And and she caught herself after she said it and said, oh, I didn't mean to say that. And then, <laughs> yes, you did. Yeah. So like when we when we talk about liturgy and I'm going to explain what that is, liturgy, I mean, liter- it literally means like the work of the people. But liturgy is like the order of the service, the, the different different elements that go into making a church service. Um, we worship God through calling people to worship. That's the beginning. We worship God through praying. We worship God through offering. We worship God through singing at times. We worship God through listening to a teaching. We worship God through listening to scripture being read. We worship God through like all these different things that are a part of a worship service. They are all different forms of showing worship to God. So liturgia in Greek, as you said, means work. So liturgy is the work of the people. And, you know, I love Kierkegaard's description, and I might have brought this up before, but it's always good to hear again, that he uses the theater as an image mm-hmm. of understanding worship. Uh, Kierkegaard, Soren Kierkegaard, Danish scholar from the 1800s, talks about most people think that in worship, 
using the theater description would be the congregation is the audience. Mm. God is the prompter and the pastoral leadership folks up front are the actors. Okay. When in reality, if we go by liturgia, the work of worship, God is the audience, the pastor, the choirs, all the folks up front are the prompters mm-hmm. and the congregation. Now I've said that singular. So this is <laughs> uh, the congregation is the actor or the people of the congregation are the actors, meaning they're the ones that are there to do the work of worship not to sit back and be entertained. And unfortunately, the way that most churches um, have been built, they're built like a theater. So, you know, you think we're an audience, not a congregation, watching something happening up front. Yeah, Um, we just sit and we take things in as opposed to we are participants. Right. So there's this beautiful church in Chicago that's round. And I know there are more uh, churches that are built built that are round, but the prompters are in the middle and everybody sits around that um, to help them understand that they're doing the work of worship. They're not just passively sitting there the whole time or getting their singing boots on and, and just enjoying that and thinking that's what worship is. The rest is just some extra stuff you have to do. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen congregations also meet in the round and specifically in the middle was actually the communion table. Christ, you know, um, and the teachers, the, you said like the prompters, the people who are leading the service are, are not in the middle. They're also in the aisles. They will like stand up from the congregation yeah, and preach from the aisles, which I think is a really neat image. I think how we set things up does actually matter and does train our brains right. in a certain way uh, for how we think about what we're doing. Yeah, physical spaces is a challenge in churches um, because so many are set up a certain way. And you can't just say, let's change this into a circle. Right. <laughs> um, so that's that's very difficult um, for a lot of churches. But yeah, um, commune with God. I write about Rudolf Otto in my dissertation, and he uses this strange word that a lot of people don't know, numinous. Mm -hmm. Uh, And numinous is a sense of being caught up in the presence of God. Mm -hmm. And as he writes about that, he talks about it in two ways, and that both need to come together. The two sides of numinous are Uh, knowing God, knowing scripture. uh, And a lot of people get stuck there and just stop there. And it's about rules. It's about what you need to know about God. Um, And so it's kind of head and factual. 
Uh, but the other side of numinous is that uh, emotional drawing and being captured by the otherworldliness of God. And that can happen uh, walking in the woods. That can happen sitting in a wheelchair and having your friends push you along a long path. And that can happen during a gathered worship experience. So, it, yeah, it's it's not just your head. It's also your heart and your emotions and your whole being. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's whole being capture. So in the New Testament, Paul writes a letter to the Hebrews and inside it, he encourages them, do not forsake the assembly. Like, do not stop meeting. You should meet together. Now, that doesn't have to be seen as another rule to follow. It's supposed to be wisdom. And why does it matter that we meet together in communities of faith? It is to do the work of worship, but also to help encourage one another toward God. Because it can be hard or lonely or disheartening to do faith alone. So one of the really meaningful ways that we can be the church together, that we can encourage one another and do faith together, is through listening while someone else confesses their struggles. And that's something that we did want to talk about here. You know, some people have been raised... No drinking, no swearing, no smoking, no dancing, no, 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 no. And that's what following God is all about. And that's what being a Christian is all about. And um, that has never been my issue. Uh, there have been theological issues that I've struggled with over the years uh, and how to reach out with God's love. Uh, but I never just heard no 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 so many have which saddens me you know what so many of us hear from former catholics about confession is you just go in with a list of where i didn't follow the no 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 and have to come up with a list and it wasn't meaningful because it had nothing to do with reconciliation with God for them. And that saddens me. And it saddens me because we have done the sacrament of reconciliation throughout our journeys of faith. Mm. You and I, Susan, without being Catholic. And why do you have to have a priest there? Why do you have to have somebody else to talk to? Well, so I've had a spiritual director since my time in Florida. Mm. And part of what we talked about was leading to a place of reconciliation with God. Um, you mentioned, like, why is it important that someone else is there when you uh, do confession? Um, and, like, why can't I just, like, sit in my bed and tell God, this is the, this is the junk in my life, and it's gone? Um, and you can do that. You can do that. This isn't another like, no, you can't do it this way. You have to do it this way. You can absolutely do that. And it can be really good and really meaningful. Also, confession with another human being present 
can be really helpful because the other person has the ability to tell you God's grace is big enough for even this. Right. And it is, I'll use the word that Jeff always uses. It is powerful to hear another voice tell you that God looks on you with love. Right. Sometimes when we can't hear it, we need that other person with us. Even though we're talking about that grace, we're not fully receiving it. So having that other person there discerning that sometimes helps us release that burden in a deeper way. Yeah. And another thing about, this is part of the reason why the church, um, meaning just other believers who have the same languages about faith that we do. Part of the reason why it is so important to be with them, to be around them um, frequently and regularly is because like we can get inside our heads and we can get bad narratives, negative narratives inside our heads. And we can start to think that, well, how I feel about myself is how God feels. How I'm condemning myself is how God is condemning me. And we can just go over and over and over and over and over in our heads. And we actually need another person of faith to say, no, that doesn't actually sound like God. Like that doesn't actually, that voice does not actually sound like Jesus. That, that's something else. Sometimes in our head, we think it's God who has caused certain harmful things to happen in our lives. And so we point the anger towards God. You did this to me. This was your will. And I reject you. And I reject that. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So that one's really hard because that goes into intellectual thinking and trying to figure out uh, the right answer to everything. So like, God is huge. God is big. God is all powerful. God has a plan. God knows everything, you know? So those, all of those ideas make it feel like anything that happens, any bad thing that happens must be part of God's will. It must be something that God wants. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. And if God is all powerful and big, then God couldn't God change it? Couldn't God have fixed this issue or or made this not happen? And as such, like, if bad things are God's will, then God's bad. And so, well, maybe, honestly, God doesn't even exist because if we think he's all powerful and he can't control that, maybe we just made this up, you know? Right. So you read through the Gospels and you hear about Jesus healing all these people. Uh, helping them walk, helping them see, helping them hear, uh, uh, releasing darkness from them. So that's what God does. And if God hasn't done that for me, then there's either something wrong with me or there's something wrong with God. Yeah, that's a really hard one where it's like, well, if you just have enough faith, Mm. you know, if you just have enough faith, your cancer will go away. Yeah, I've been hit with that. Yeah. 
Jeff, why aren't you, you just must not have enough faith. Right. Right. And there's something not right that God has not healed my body. Right. Which that's the whole idea of Job. Like if you've read the book of Job, that's exactly what his friends hit him with, where it's like, well, you must have sin in your life. Otherwise all this crap wouldn't be happening to you. You wouldn't have lost your family. You wouldn't have lost all your wealth. You wouldn't, wouldn't be sitting here with sores all over your body in the ditch. This is all, this is your fault. If you just like get rid of your sin, then you'd be fine. And like, that's not the case. (laughs) Sometimes bad happen. (laughs) And, you know, I am so glad that God captured me in the way that God captured me. And I don't mean that like a prisoner. I mean that like the numinous. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I could, I don't get angry easily, but I could get angry at people who've shared with me, um, you need to be praying more. Mm-hmm. I'm praying for you you need to be praying more for this disease to leave your body. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I have these kind of conversations that we're having right now with people that say those things to me, as opposed to either getting angry at them or sitting there quiet and then getting angry at God afterwards. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'd rather describe to them. No, because you know what, if you slow down and read the gospels, And the crowds that were following Jesus that had all kinds of burdens in their lives. And not everybody in the crowd was healed. Does God love me in the condition that I'm in? 100%. -hmm. Uh, Do I need to change things in my life? 100%. -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, I'm loved. I'm broken. I'm still loved. Yeah. So this, I mean, our podcast is about joy and pain and the way of thinking that we were just talking about assumes that like everything that's difficult in our lives is bad, is automatically bad. And, you know, if, if you were good or if you prayed more, or if you had more faith, then like you would be rewarded by having good things happen to you. Um, But like, that completely discounts the the good that can actually come out of difficult things, difficult situations. Like I remember the conversation we had with Dr. Claire Gilbert, who has cancer, is living with cancer, and how when she started going through the process of chemo and treatment and all this stuff, she just asked God, like, use this to make me the person you want me to be. She didn't Mm. ask God to get rid of it. She asked God to use it. Right. Um, And, and she made me cry. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So her book miles to go before I sleep by Claire Gilbert. Uh, So it's a book of letters that she wrote as she was going through uh, chemotherapy and stem cell transplant. It's beautiful because I mean, it's raw and honest. And it is. She's this lovely woman and seems very posh and proper. You know, leading the Westminster Abbey Institute, which is you know the big ministries of Westminster Abbey in London. 
And yeah, I mean, she just lets it out there at times, uh, write certain words that I don't use at all. And, <laughs> you know, expresses them. Ah, mm-hmm. I hate this right now. But then the next letter is thank you. So-and-so mm-hmm. for encouraging me with your words or your prayers or your whatever, or thank you, God, uh, for being right beside me, right within me in the midst of this. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. So uh, miles to go before I sleep. It was really hard for me to find on on Amazon for some ridiculous reason. But um, I think just because it's I think it's published in the UK, not so right. much in the US, but you can find it and it's very good. You can find it and it's very, very good. If you're having questions like what we're talking about right now. Yeah. And this this all reminds me of a Chinese proverb also where um and I don't I don't know the exact words of the proverb, but you'll get the idea. There's a person and an event happens and the person automatically goes, Oh, that's good. But then because that thing happens something bad happens and the person goes, Oh, that's bad. But then because that bad thing happens, something else good happens. And he looks at it and is like, well, that's good. And then because the good thing happens, then something bad happens. And so like, it's just, I don't know, looking at all of these events in our lives and categorizing them and labeling them as good or bad, good fortune or bad fortune, um, blessings from God or curses from God is just not a great way of thinking because like God can be in the midst of any situation that you are going through. God can be with you. God is with you. And our task is to notice God and let God change us through either the easy things in our lives or the difficult things in our lives, God is still there. Um, Oh, and I would probably use the word and you would also transform. Yeah. Um, But because this is about joy also, and me being a smart aleck, I have to tell you, I don't understand your Chinese proverb. Could you speak that to us in Mandarin so I could understand that better? I was tasked to sing a song in Mandarin like a month oh, ago, and oh it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I did a horrible job. <laughs> oh, I, I love the movies that I've seen where somebody's trying really hard to speak another person's language, and there's the subtitle underneath that's saying what it's really saying is your face looks like a dog pickle or something. Right. Yeah, no, the people said, when you think you just said, you are so lovely, I'm so glad to be in your presence is what you thought you were I saying. <laughs> so, hey, everybody, God loves you and is very fond of you. Every part of who you are right now in this very moment. And we want you to know that. and. Not one person in your life, not one person that you might run into is called to be your judge. Nobody. Uh, And so even in my preaching, it was the Holy Spirit that would transform somebody. 
It was the Holy Spirit that would convict somebody. It was the Holy Spirit that would heal somebody of something. It wasn't me. Mm -hmm. Um, I never saw myself as the actor uh, in Kierkegaard's model. Uh, I always saw myself as the prompter. Yeah. Yeah. And like, obviously in your own faith, you were the actor, but as a leader, as a church leader, as someone leading a service, you are the prompter for, to help other people participate. Yeah. So I want to put out a couple statements and we can talk about them a little bit now and, but we can always come back to them in our next episode. So one of the things goes into the idea of deconstruction and reconstruction, because again, those ideas freak people out. People think like, oh, you're losing your faith or you're, you're like tearing everything apart. You're really struggling. You know, those are some of the connotations that people have with it. But first of all, there's an idea of stages of faith. And there are lots of different people who have models of this, like there are four stages of faith or there are seven stages of faith. You can look them up, you can find them wherever and learn different things about them. But essentially like in the first stage of faith, you are just learning stuff and um you're a sponge you're soaking stuff in and it's um you're learning things that are your parents uh faith probably and in the second stage of faith you start to make it your own but it's still very head uh head knowledge you're learning all the rules and um making sure you get everything down and depending on which model you're looking at most churches stay there or and i would say get stuck there get stuck there so then the third stage is actually the deconstructive the deconstruction stage um and it looks and sounds like you're you know you're tearing things apart and you're you're being destructive but what you're actually doing is you're you're picking it apart to fully understand it and to to make sure that it actually has merit and in doing so you're actually pursuing your faith more so sometimes we think of deconstruction as you're walking away from your faith but it actually like think of it this way if someone is yelling at god they're mad at god they're yelling at god at least they're still talking to God, right? You know, at least they're still pursuing God. And in fact, they're trusting God enough to show them their ugly side, to have a real relationship. And I mean, I tend to think that the relationships, the friendships that I have that are the most deep are the friendships where we've actually had a few fights, you know, and we've come out the other side stronger. That feels like the friendship has lasting power as opposed to I'm just walking on eggshells or, or I'm only giving you part of me, you right. know, those sorts of things. So in the deconstruction world, 
if you are in that third stage, you have this kind of thought in your head. If things in your faith tradition cause you to hate others or treat them poorly, then that thing needs to be reconsidered. And so that's what a lot of a lot of young people I've that I've encountered are doing. They're looking around at the world. They're looking around at the faith that they have been brought up in. They're seeing an older generation of churchgoers or churches who they feel like do not treat other people well. Right. They're looking at our country that claims to be a Christian nation and yet continually goes to war or attacks other cultures and religions or kicks people out of the church. That feels like hatred as opposed to peace and kingdom of God type stuff. So or allows children to go hungry or allows right. communities to stay in poverty or, you know, the list goes on and on when you're looking at our country and that's not politics. That's just, we're supposed to be lovers of God who share that love and are empowered by God's love to share that love with others. Mm -hmm. That Nobody should walk in to our presence and feel like we're the judge. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No one, that's not our job. Our job is to reflect the love of God. It is not to tell people what they're doing wrong so that they can get closer to God, at least in our opinion. Yep. Um, in, in our opinion. Yep. Because God can handle that. Right. And, so, and that might happen with some yelling contests between God as people are in this stage working through that and realizing, oh, I need to let go of that thing. Yeah. Um, or this thing is okay. Mm -hmm. And God is telling me this thing is okay, even though I've been raised in a place that's been stuck in that second stage telling me this is not okay. So all of that can be fleshed out further. And the hope is that you do eventually move through stage three into stage four, which is one of peace. Um, it's one of a deep relationship and faith in God. Um, so I guess I just want to encourage you, if you know anyone who's going through deconstruction and it seems scary to you that it's actually moving somewhere. Um, and and to just continue to go alongside them and be a steady person in their life um, and help them not feel rejected by their questions, you know, like, because deconstruction, even though I think it's a positive thing, it can still be scary if you're in it because you're like, man, I don't fit here. I don't fit with this group of people who seem to have all the answers. And I don't, you know, I don't, but I don't want to like, throw it all in the trash. I don't, I do like God, you know, like I don't right. want to get rid of my faith, but some of these things don't make sense to me. So it can be a scary place to be, but it's headed somewhere and it, it can be a really good thing. It can be, but people can get stuck there also. And I just want to encourage that continuing to move through that deconstruction, reconstruction. And there's another worshiping, community that makes more sense yeah and i do think for anyone who's going through deconstruction right now and listening to this like i think it's rare but there are there are churches that welcome questions 
that aren't threatened by the thought of deconstruction, that aren't closed to to wrestling with things and thinking about things and trying to figure out like how how to continue to follow Jesus in this strange world that maybe doesn't look like the previous generation. So let me go back and finish with the pastor who cut off live streaming at the church where this person leads worship. Because the whole point wasn't, no, I don't want to have people have access to worship. No, you know, I understand even people like me that, you know, once the wheelchair is hard to get to worship or something like that, it will be great to have access to something worship-wise, you know, so you can go to those kind of places with it. Why did he do that? Because there are people, um, he did it for a specific reason to bring the church back together, uh, the worshiping body back together But the challenge for all of us, and um, this is probably a longer conversation that that we need to have, but I want to leave us with this, is how many churches are there in the world? If I asked how many worshiping communities are there in the world, there would be thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions. But how many churches are there in the world? One, just one, the church universal. And there are so many things through the Reformation and different time periods that have taught us to leave and separate and bind each other together around specific rules or one specific thought or something like that. But the reality is that there is one church the church universal that hears that we are so loved that God came to this world that we might understand that love more deeply and has empowered us through the Spirit now to understand that love. Now I'm preaching. Amen. Thanks for joining us for A Different Kind of Walk. Until next time, live well.